Good morning, dear God, am I funny. Thank you for listening. This next guest, Christopher Wallace, um, who goes by Chris Wallace, because fuck news anchors, am I right? He's got tattoos all over his body. He's a stand-up comedian, an owner of a pizza place called Ozzy's that's in Glendale, California, and oh yes, they serve the little pepperonis. He's a sexy individual, inside and out, a fantastic storyteller, so sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Wallace. One of my first tattoos with him was this like, pizza thing, and like I just gave him the idea, and I thought it was going to end up one way, yeah. and I show up, and he goes, I drew it this way, what do you think? I go, it's better. Okay. That's what I did with this. I was going to do just this little balloon, and then... Almost every tattoo idea I've given him he's basically done this whole sleeve when we started my legs I'll give him an idea or I'll like I was always against flash art like the stuff that's on the wall and then he got me into like understanding like that flash art's been created by someone so like if you can't come up with an idea look look at the flash art to kind of get your rods and cones going and I started to get I started getting a lot of of shit from them I'm gonna hold this mic the whole time because it's gonna sound better yeah. Is that the Ghostbusters? Uh, it is. Perfect. We're in the right room, guys. We're in the right room. We've arrived. So we're recording already. Is, is this close enough? Or is, is it sounds good? great. Yeah, you can, you can eat it as much as you want. Sure. I didn't eat breakfast, so. so <laughs> just, just, do you want me to? Just, my, just can, love all morning. I can get you a love. snack. Whatever you need. A little smack? Yeah. No, a snack. Oh, well, yeah, you got me thinking. <laughs> what do you, you thought he said smack? I can get like a bowl of cereal for you. No, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. nothing sounds better in an interview than the person getting interviewed eating. What was that question again? <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone to feel the whole milk. We could start with that. What's your favorite uh, cereal? Well, we should start with your name. <laughs> His name is Chris, Chris Wallace. Wallace. Smack attack. Which we'll get into because it's got to be fun. When you uh, your name gets announced and you share it with a former Fox News host, oh, now that. CNN anchor and a shot rapper. Yeah. Well, do you ever think about changing your name? No. Who's the yeah, shot rapper? Fuck it. Why no, would I do it's that? Mine. It's That's right. mine. Someone's like, you should go by Christopher, and I'm like, I'm not a soap opera actor because my full name's Christopher Thomas Wallace, mm. and it sounds like he'd be oh. like. CTW lead on like yeah. and the restless. I got Derek Austin and my mom I named me it. after a general hospital actor. Yeah, and I can totally see that. My dad was pissed and changed my middle name to D Bone. <laughs> that was my first <laughs> tattoo. That's oh, a there true story. D-bone. Oh my god, yeah, there's so much to D-bone unpack on about his it. right shoulder and now it all makes sense. I got a free go kart ride with this tattoo in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Oh my and god. And that is a real thing. There's well, so only and my dad only just so much. Yeah, <laughs> my dad was supposed to get one with me, uh, and then he backed out. And so I was like, "You're gonna watch me do my go kart ride yeah. by myself." Your dad backed out of doing the go karts, getting the tattoo. Oh, getting the tattoo. And Why? We were, we were relating because he's uh, Chris has tattoos. I have a bunch. How many you got? What'd you say? Oh, I've lost count, but I got two full sleeves, a chest piece, legs started up, I, well over a hundred. Wow. And you used to care about what people thought. I used to care, yeah. And then I just stopped giving an F what people think about what's on. Like, I have a little sister. She's 30, and I have a new hand tattoo. She goes, why would you get one on your hand? I'm like, that's the breaking point? (laughs) Like, I have a tattoo of my friend from college as a Lollipop Guild member from uh, Wizard of Oz because I lost the bet. But this is the breaking point. (laughs) Yeah. A little ladybug on my right palm. Oh, okay. My, yeah, one that's of my, not about me, Kim. <laughs> one of my fondest memories growing up was I went down to Florida and we walked into a elevator and went up a couple flights and then stopped. And all the living members of Wizard of Oz Munchkin cast got no on way. the elevator. That sounds like a fever dream. It was. It feels like a fever dream when I remember it. The mayor. And the mayor was there. The mayor was there. Is he still mayor? How long is that term? They're all dead now. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a life it's a life sentence. But enough the about me. Yeah. We're here for Chris Short Wallace. Term. But uh, tattoos are addictive. They are absolutely. Yeah, I have so I have seven. Oh, okay. Um, but I have found that the second I'm done getting one, I'm like, oh, when am I going to get my next I've, one? Absolutely. They say like once you get one, you can't. It's so true. 
if if you like sit down for, I remember I got my first one it was like a sentimental one right we all overthink I feel like you're when you get in your first set too, you always overthink like oh, I has to be this and that and whatever then once you get it, you're like okay what's the next thing yeah mm-hmm. and then you just keep going and you keep going what's fun is as I've gotten older I'm in my mid-30s now now with my artists that I've been going to shout out Maddie Higgins Port City Tattoo Maddie Higgins uh we just sit down and I have ideas and he's like yeah I could do that or maybe you want to do this and like it's nice to have someone, especially like because we, with comedy, having someone to bounce ideas off of. Mm-hmm. With a tattoo artist, it's not only addictive, but it's great because you can bounce off. Hey, I have this idea. You don't want to do that. He said <laughs> many times. He goes, "No, we're not gonna. Let's do this instead." And it's always, I, it gives me a way. I'm, I have a hard time trusting people mm-hmm. with like any sort of like art or like just opinion. Yeah. And when I give it up to him, and he's like, "Let's do it this way," it's like my ultimate way of like being free a little bit. It's like, okay, just do it. And like, there's this thing called, right. I forget the, the term, you can get a tattoo without knowing what it is with your artist. Yeah. I forget the exact terminology. I'll never do that. I'll lose my mind if I did that. But like, I will let him decide what it is and everything, but I always look at it. You got to give it clearance. It. Yeah. Oh yeah. I still want to know what's going on. In my yeah. Body. So Chris, where'd you grow up? Uh, a little town called East Haven, Connecticut. Mm. Funny story. Ocean's 12, the sequel. For some reason, Soderbergh picked that town as where like George Clooney and Julia Roberts were hiding out, and like they opened the movie and it says East Haven, Connecticut, and that house is not in East Haven, Connecticut. Of course not. The magic of Hollywood. Yeah, it sounds great. Yeah, East Haven, Connecticut. So you grew up in East Haven, Connecticut. Yep. Yep. Close to New Haven. Literally east of New Haven. East of New Haven. Interesting. (laughs) How'd they come up with that? You know, those those damn Italians just moving in from Ellis Island, just like let's make it simple. Yeah, let's make it simple. It's all haven. It's all havens. There's a there's an East Haven. There's a New Haven. There's a North Haven. There's a West Haven, and then there's Gunwave and Fair Haven that nobody talks about. Is there Old Haven? (laughs) I wish. In my Old Havens in Europe. That's how it worked. Yeah. Back then. And where do you think your trust issues started? (laughs) No. (laughs) Deep in Old Haven. In Old Yeah, in Old Haven. So, what was it like growing up in East Haven for you? It was honestly pretty nice. It's a, it's the simple northeast uh, small town, and what's interesting was we grew up. It's I said Italian because it's a predominantly Italian American neighborhood. Because uh, and we'll get into it probably later. Like I'm a I'm a pizza maker, and I grew up with like a big pizza Italian food culture in mm. East Haven. But ironically, I was raised Polish and Irish. And as you get, you can't see, but I'm very pale, and I have a red beard, and I have blonde. And hair, your name so is Chris Wallace. My name's Chris Wallace. So Polish, Irish, Scottish. Come the fi- and it's a very Italian neighborhood. So I got ridiculed as a kid, like as the pale kid. I used to get called Powder, which was fun. Ooh. Good one, good throwback. Yeah, because right? that movie was. That, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, a gem. It's a gem. Goldblum, <laughs> I, I think, it. got paid a lot for that movie. I hope so. I hope for him. I pray for him. <laughs> Goldblum should be paid daily yeah. for just being Goldblum. He should be. But uh, it was great to grow up there, even with like a little bit of bullying from like like they were like, "Oh, you're the Polish kid, whatever." Come to find out, 25 years later, I'm like 25 percent Italian. My parents. <laughs> you do one of those tests? No. Well, my sister did it, and then we got confirmation from my aunt. And I'm like, why didn't they just tell us? Because my dad looks like Tony Soprano. My whole life, he looks like Tony yeah. Soprano. And Christopher. I mean, Christopher. It... You know, the whole thing. And we come to find out I'm Italian. I'm like, oh, that's a that's a good thing to find Did out. Did you call up everybody from school? Oh, I ridiculed everybody. I was hey, like, hey here, guys, here we guess go. Guess what? Here we go. All those powder comments. Yeah, I'm Italian. Yeah, I got a spray tan. I put I put on a Jersey Shore spiky hair hat, <laughs> and I just went off on everybody. <laughs> you went full Guido. <laughs> full Guido. Full Guido. Yeah. So we, when you're getting made fun of, um, <laughs> because we like to ask us about, you know, what, especially people in comedy sure. when, when they're growing up, uh, were you combating it with, you know, being the butt of the joke, like, oh, I'll laugh along with you or I'm going to hit you back with humor? When I got to high school, I started hitting people back like hard, like just roasting them. I, I started to realize as I got older, like, oh, they're just they're their insecurities is why they're ripping on. Yeah. Me, for whatever reason. In childhood, I would act out. I was a class clown, like, all the time. I would get in trouble for doing stupid, silly stuff. But I was funny, so people laughed at it. Even though I got in trouble, I was like, oh, okay, this might be my thing. What's like, the best thing? Can you remember? What's the the best thing you did as as, as like, a little like kid? Like, I think about this moment. Um, I, I think I was in fourth grade, maybe. And uh, everybody had to take their homework out. Yeah. And I took out a little card, and I wrote, the doctor is out. 
and I put that on my desk. And the teacher was going around asking everybody about the assignment, and she got to me, and she goes, what's that sign? I go, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not in right now. And she goes, go to the principal's office. And I'm like, okay, so like, what, what moment do you remember? I vividly remember, I don't know how I got it, because people would, like, knew they could manipulate me because I wanted to be liked so much. Because even when you get bullied, you have that, un, you want to be liked by everybody. Yeah. And I remember somebody gave me crazy glue. And I was like, yes. So it was like fourth <laughs> or fifth grade. And I went to a Catholic school, by the way, for like all of grade school into high school. So that's, you know, that screwed up some, some rods oh, and yeah. cones up yeah. there a little bit. Uniform? You had to wear a uniform? Oh, yeah, yeah. Full full uh, plaid uh, tie, white shirt. Beautiful. Khaki pants. The shoes that had literal, it looked like eraser pink bottoms on them. Oh, that yeah. that was the colors they wanted. So, oh, yeah, my sex life's great now. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I remember this, these kids gave me crazy glue, and I was like, okay. So I went around to everyone's desk. Because it was, remember those desks that were metal on the bottom with a tray? Yes. And then the little flat, like, Yeah, yeah, top? of course. I went around to everyone's desk and glued their pens inside their desk. So when they would go to <laughs> grab them, they wouldn't, they, obviously they wouldn't move. And it was like, the bell rang, and I had hit everyone's desk, and a couple of friends were in on it. And I remember you could see from, like, one classroom to the other if you sat at a certain angle. I remember just waiting to see everyone start reacting and seeing these like little asshole kids that used to pick on me, not able to pull their pens out was just joyous. I was just oh, like yeah. loving every moment of it. Then I got in trouble, obviously, but I was like, right. In retrospect, I go, that was great. <laughs> like, fuck them. Like, it was just the best thing. In You're the learning world. your power. Yeah. So do you ever, um, you know, as you get older, get into high school, do you ever use the arts as an outlet? Do yeah. they come into play? Yeah, so in high school, I still was trying to find, like, my tribe. Like, uh, that's a good terminology I use a lot now. And I, I always was into music, like, a big music guy. Sadly, I have the rhythm of uh, a one, le like, two-left-foot guy from... Uh, of a white Polish kid who wears a Catholic really school Italian. uniform. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tattoos of lollipop guild on his shoulder. That Yeah, so no rhythm, tried every instrument, but loved art. And we were, me and Derek talking earlier, I used to draw a lot. When I was in uh, high school, I went to art. I did a couple art classes, got extra credit for just drawing different things, and just I always loved that. But then, I, me and my, I have a younger brother, he's two years younger, his name's Tom, and we used to get into, this is when DVDs started coming out. Mm. So we would go to, uh, like, FYE or the mall. Love and, FYE. Dude, F, shout out to FYE. Did you have FYE? No, did we it? had a media play. Uh, do you know what FYE stands for? Fuck your elves. It did it in the holidays, but uh, I think it was for your entertainment. Yep. That makes more sense. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. It was a cornucopia. Doesn't that make more sense? It does. Yeah. That's where my brain went. I don't know why. Shout out to the Elf community. Thank you for your, uh, Thank your, you for your, service. your service this time of year. Service. Yeah. Always supportive. It's tough. I love that store. I would go, me and my brother would go and just pick out stuff. And that's where comedy, I found comedy, like real comedy. Like started to get into like the Bill Murray's. And oh, the Harold yeah. Ramis movies and Seinfeld. We found Seinfeld then. Because growing up, that was the other thing to backtrack. Me and my brother would get home and after TRL, because you had to watch TRL to see the top 10 videos of the day mm -hmm. yeah. on TV. And that definitely didn't ruin me growing up as an adult. That's another story. But we would watch the Simpsons reruns every day. They were on. Yeah. And we would go through them like verbatim. We know line for line all the Simpsons. And then when we, we could get a little money from chores... Every week we would go buy a DVD and just find more movies and find more movies. What Bill Murray movies? Uh, I mean, Ghostbusters 2 was like the first one I remember we watched a lot because I think it was just on TNT every other weekend. So that was the one that was on all the yeah. time. But then as I got a little older, fell in love with Caddyshack right away. Uh, Ghostbusters 1, obviously. All the old SNL stuff. Before you could go on YouTube and find me, you had to buy the DVD seasons of the old SNLs and watch that. But the like the biggest movie that we would always watch and crack up from was National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and absolutely. Still to this day, quick one. What's your favorite Christmas movies of all time? Top three, because we talked about this. Me and some comics the other day. It gets very just divisive. So I mean, I have my three. Go right. I, I mean, know you're faster with it's this Home stuff. Alone. Um, it's uh, Home Alone. It's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and it's Scrooged. My buddy yesterday said those exact three. Yeah. In that order, too. Wow. I like to tie Home Alone 1 and 2 together now as an adult, because it's basically the same movie, 
Right. Yeah, in so two different locations. Yeah, it's the same movie, too, and so it's great. Well, the, the, the criminals, uh, Daniel Stern, Joe Pesci, they're the wet bandits in the first one, and then they're the sticky bandits. And the, so there's differences. Dare I say his physical humor in the second movie, Daniel Stern's better than the first movie? You know, the thing that's uh, funny to me is uh, going through the pandemic with a, a group of uh, parents and their kids, and we all hung out together. And one of the things my son, he's young. He's going to be seven years old in a few months. But at the time, when he's about five, you know, we're watching a lot of the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. And then when the boys are all playing together, they're roughhousing a bit. And one of the dads is like, you know, I think it's because you show there's so much violence in uh, those movies. But meanwhile, he's showing his kids Home Alone and Home Alone 2. And I'm like, this is a child throwing a brick three stories down and hitting a guy in the face multiple times, which three would times. kill Hero. him in real life. I don't know if it's the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy that's necessarily tipping these kids over. It's watching a kid literally murder two adults. I mean, those movies are so violent. Yeah, but there's a funny score, so it's okay. Uh, and the good, great sound go. effects. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, we, did you guys grow up on Three Stooges at all? Did you watch a little bit? Yeah, 100%. My grandfather, uh, my mom's dad, would, he had the old tapes. So there was this old uh, Three Stooges tapes that were made probably like 70s or 80s before they all passed away. They would do color intros as them like now or whatever time they filmed it to the old yeah. uh, black and white ones. So me and my, we would just go through those like crazy. Me and my brother used to beat the shit out of each other. And like we're huge wrestling fans, so it was always funny to us. Violence was yeah. never like a like a thing to us that was like, oh, that's weird, because like we weren't in a violent household either. Like my dad, Jim, my mom, Jim, like we never, you know, there was no fighting or anything that was like real fighting. Yeah. So like when I hear that, like oh, Guardians is too violent, it's ray guns in space. Yeah, it's You're worried about it's, yeah. it's very sci-fi. Yeah. You know. We should give kids more credit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We should. I think the Beastie Boys are the modern version of. Three Stooges. That's a. I never heard that correlation. Before, Where does that I come from? Like that a lot. I feel like they um, they were our version growing up. The like, Beastie Boys. Yeah. When you think about the rap, the way they rap and how they're over each other, nobody's done it like them. Yeah. Same with Three Stooges. Nobody could do that slapstick the way they did. No. I mean, they that's were so for sure. tight. So you're saying their originality and the fact there was three of them and the physical yeah, movements some, that that always connected for me. I love that. That's you a think great about correlation. that. Yeah, I don't know. See, what I love you. about Derek is he makes connections <laughs> and has thoughts that literally nobody on the planet does. I'm, I'm D-bone. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, Unique uh, is not even a good enough word to describe word. you. Uh, it's like a cesspool yeah. creation. Anyway, for uh, Indiana. For the holidays this year, we bought our son uh, bricks. So oh, we'll good. see how good. Um, I got another will... stack over there if you need a few more. So, so you're growing up in East Haven. Uh, you're doing <laughs> art, music, loving it. Uh, where do you, but you don't, he's not doing music. He didn't find the, rhythm. well, he's interviewed. Actually funny story. My mother signs me up for guitar classes and gets me one of those like first act Toys R Us like, guitars. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't going to get me made fun of at all, but that's fine. Right. And I remember the first day of lessons, it was a group lesson. And this is just, I find humor in this shit. It, I'm like, do I, I got to bring my guitar? She goes, you don't have to bring it. It's your first day. They're just going to talk to you about guitar. <laughs> and as a kid, I'm like, okay. But then my comedy brain, I remember as a kid, like, that sounds stupid. Why would I not bring right. the guitar? Don't bring your guitar to, to, guitar to the guitar lesson. lesson. And I get there and sure as shit, every kid has their guitar out and they're doing lessons. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> do you go home and do you look at mom and go, why do you do this to me? Literally, like, I think back and I'm like, why? Just like why, mom? All these little things, and it's just like you were you were kind of dumb. I love you, but they're gonna teach yeah. you music oh. theory. But by the way, your parents together? Uh, she sadly passed about seven, going on seventeen years ago. My dad's alive. He's a but they stay together. <laughs> yeah, no, they were dude, happy, honestly, home, supportive of you. Very supportive. I, I'm the oldest of three. I got a younger sister out here. She's pursuing acting and singing. My brother lives in Connecticut, and then they yeah they stay together. It was a real supportive household. Like. It was funny to think, like, I talk to friends now. Both sides of the family all kind of stayed the same up until she kind of passed away. Whereas, like, grandparents were alive for a while. Strong family sides. 
people always saw each other. Like, my dad's from Connecticut, so we saw them a lot because all of them stay in Connecticut. Mm. My mom was from Jersey. Most of them lived in Jersey and New York, so. I got a question for you because I lost a parent in 2009. Were you cracking jokes at the funeral? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I said okay. make myself laugh, and she would appreciate this. There was like this old, uh, well, not old, old. It was live. Then some song that was on the radio, like a one of those Irish pop songs that yeah. was like popular at the time. Danny Boy or something like that. And to make myself feel okay, I remember like envisioning her in like her <laughs> hospital gown and Ivy dancing to right. these songs and like to the rhythm. And I was like, that's the stuff that would get me through the funeral. Yeah. And like I know she would laugh at that kind of stuff because I used to. That was a big thing. I used to make her crack up all the time. Like that was the big, like in high school, I started to do a lot of just bits at the house and all right. these little things. And she would be the one laughing at them all the time and sort of encouraging me a little bit. So how old are you when she passes? I was 19 at the time. So you're in college already? Uh, yeah. Second year of college. And she was sick for a while. It was, it wasn't easy for her, but like seeing me go to college was good for her. Cause I was the first one to do it in the family. Were you somewhat close to home though? Yeah, I went to school and it's we had there four state schools in Connecticut, so I went to the one called Western Connecticut State University. That's like an hour from home. So I, I stayed closer, which was good. So when everything went down, I was able to be around and all of that. So when you're making mom laugh and she's your biggest fan and you know comedy's been a thing in terms of being class clown. When you're at college, do you ever think that maybe that's going to play into your future? Or what were you at college studying? Like, what so were you thinking about? I, as soon as I got to college, it's funny, there was a radio station, and I was looking into maybe becoming a DJ at the radio station program, but then when she passed, it all kind of, like, fell apart. Yeah. That was rough. I mean, no, uh, losing a parent, no matter what age, it's going to be hard, but for me, then, it was real rough, and, you know, you delve into the bottle and drugs and all that crazy stuff to help you get through it. But the one thing that I remember that always got me through was my friends, who I'm still friends with to this day, we would just all joke around all the time. And that's where all the humor right. really broke out was like all my <laughs> core friends up there, seeing people that had the same kind of humor as me or even weirder or funnier. That's where it all started to be like, oh, maybe like this could just be like how I am the rest of my life. Not thinking career or anything yet, but more like, oh, I could joke around like this with all these people and this is they accept me and we're yeah. all kind of the outcasts in our own right. way. So to this day, like my best friends, Randy, Danny, Campos, all these people, we still joke around the same way we did when we were 18, 19, and we're in like mid-30s now. So humor, you know, as a kid getting bullied, picked on, humor is, you know, a way for you to get through that. The tragedy of losing your mom, humor pops up again. So then you take all of this and you dive into a career in retail. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's, of that's course. What you, do. you go <laughs> as soon as you realize, like, oh, that's right, I live in Connecticut. You go work for Target. That's what. You Is do. that where you worked? <laughs> I worked for Target for ten years. What'd you well, do at Target? I was, dude. You're gonna love it. I was a security guard, <laughs> so I wore the outfit, the whole thing. Nice. And then I got. You ever wear your uniform out to bars to oh, impress yeah, I got anybody? Tons of numbers. I mean, if you guys can see my face right now, there's no sarcasm. I got tons of numbers of. Mental health people calling me saying, please stop. <laughs> please stop. Stop doing this. I wore that for like two years and then I got promoted. Because I, I, at the time I was, I, the only degree I could get was a criminal justice degree because that's where I had all my credits in. Because mm -hmm. when my mom passed, I left school for a year and I was working at Target at the time. And they were like, you could like come work for us full time and, you know, we'll help you out. And they did. And they got me to help me go back to school because the Target had like a program. They would pay for some of your oh, wow. classes. Target. Yeah, Tar Gee, I mean, not going with Target out. when I was in my twenties was great, and they would, but they would only pay for the classes correlating to your job at Target. So because I was a security guard, <laughs> they would only pay for like criminal justice classes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going. So you were a criminal justice. You were an accountant. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Literally, dude. It's that's wild. right. Insane. So I was doing that for a while. I sold computers but, at Target, so I started Google. But, dude, <laughs> in retrospect, so much material from working in retail. Oh, it's... Like, yeah. it's insane. And working on the security side, my favorite job ever to this day was I was an investigation specialist. I know it sounds... Amazing. So, so amazing. Sounds like a movie like Liam Neeson would star in now, like... The investigating specialist. <laughs> and uh, what it was was I would just dress like this, like normal undercover... And you would catch shoplifters. And like my yeah. job was literally to like watch people in the store on cameras and then on the floor. 
watch them steal, and then arrest them at the door. You make arrests? Oh, yeah. I had cuffs. I was trained and everything. I have my favorite story ever was there was this That's group. Amazing. Dude, I, there was this group. There was like rings of people that would go around to different targets and steal stuff during the holidays. So a good little holiday story. And this group was stealing because this is how dumb retail is. Let's put Xbox 360s, the newest, biggest thing at the time, just on end cap shelves with no locks or anything. Right. Because we're going to sell a lot of them. That's a great idea. No, they're going to steal them all and then go sell them at the flea market and make a bunch of money. That's what this group was doing. And I remember watching the cameras one day and this woman comes up to an end cap and literally puts like 15 Xboxes in her car. Like, okay, she's stealing these. She's not buying 15 right. Xboxes. How does she get out of the store? What's the, her plan? Dude, there's nothing more like bold than a shoplifter. They just they just leave. Because like, like, if we just leave, we're not going to get in trouble. The alarms go off. Nobody cares. But you see, you, you seem like you're a rational human, Eric, some way. They Sometimes. Don't, they don't think. They're like, I need to get this out. So if I just leave, this like some security guard who's going to WestCon is not going to... I don't care. Like, he's not a real cop. I have to tell you, they're not wrong, by the way, because I know I've left places, and sometimes the alarm, the security alarm goes off. Yeah. You know you just paid for it or whatever. Do you, and what I've done to show people, and I just raise my hand. I just go like this and then walk out. Yeah. Nobody stops me. I'm in the clear. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm excited. It's me, I want to know. Eric. I, yeah. I paid. It's that concept. My wife taught me this about like going to hotels and stuff. If you're not staying there, but you can go sit by the pool. If you act like you belong, you belong. 100%. If I act like I just bought these 15 Xboxes, mm -hmm. they're just going to let me go. That's what these people would do. They would just literally, most, they're, they're, I'm on pins and needles. I want to know, did you spear tackle this woman? Oh, it gets better. You're okay. going to love this. <laughs> so it's Christmas time, and this was at a mall target. So like it was very busy. Mm. There was an entrance that would go into the mall, and then there was one that would go into the parking lot. Thankfully, she used the parking lot one, so we didn't have to deal with like families coming in with freaking like, Christmas outfits and all this stuff from taking photos, like coming in to see this woman get tackled, right? And... I say that because they would get a lot of people would get violent when you would stop them. Oh yeah, and you have like control of you can bring it to a point, but if they have a weapon or anything, you just let them go. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna yeah. get killed over a freaking uh, Xbox, uh, an Xbox at Target when I'm 22 or whatever. So this woman, uh, we realize through the cameras, so there's me and two other guards watching them through the cameras on the floor. I'm on the floor. They tell me she has a lookout. Little do I know, the lookout is about seven one, six hundred pound. <laughs> oh my goodness! Bald dude, like envision sloth, but like with a jacket on and just like a little bit more perceptive. I've got Bam Bam Bigelow. Yo, yeah, great, yeah, great yeah good reference. Yeah, good reference. So Bam Bam's up front, watching <laughs> flame tattoos over the head. Yeah, just yeah. standing there, just waiting to kill whoever's following his pro presumably wife or girlfriend stealing all these Xboxes. So it's his sister, but They're Bam fucking. Bam was dumb. This is the best part. So Bam Bam was <laughs> guarding the wrong door. He was guarding the entrance door. And then in between the entrance door and the exit door was this giant uh, array of carts. So he couldn't get over to come like, he didn't kill strategize. Me, whatever. Yeah. So when I go to stop her, she, I remember, I just thought she was a little overweight. She had a big leather jacket on. I go to stop her. And I, when I go to stop her, her jacket kind of pulls back and I realize she's not overweight. She's pregnant and like very pregnant. So immediately because I'm not a piece of shit, I'm like, okay, let me go easy with this, but we got to arrest her. She's stealing like, this is grand theft. Now she has like over $3,000 yeah. in merchandise. Yeah. So this is a felony and we got to, we got to stop this. So I'm like, all right, come with me. Let's go. Then that's when I realized she is on crack cocaine and starts screaming and sweating at me. Like I couldn't even have imagined <laughs> and I'm like, I'm I walking? Okay, I need a little help. Let's go. <laughs> and the two, and I had the two dorkiest, dumbest, like Gumby boy guards with me at the time. And I'm like, this isn't going to work. And I'm like, you know, I'm six foot on a good day. I'm like 200 pounds. I got some muscles here and there, depending on the year or whatever. Depending on where we look. Yeah, depending on where you look. <laughs> and I'm like trying to bring this woman back politely. They come over. I kid you not. It's uh, Barney Fife. The dude falls over his feet when he's coming up to help me. So I have a security guard fall on his face right in front of me, <laughs> trying to go grab this other woman. He grabbed, the other one grabs one arm. I grab the other. We're bringing her to the office. She's screaming, yelling. There, she's yelling harassment. Everyone knows what she did, by the way. The, during this right. time for the audience, there is a whole group of Target employees 
watching this, like basically writing down, okay, this he's not going to get sued. This is fine. Everything's good. We bring her to the hallway of the office, and this is my favorite part. We get to the hallway of the office. I just have to get her into the office where there's a bench and there's handcuffs. We've called the police. Everything's going to be fine. That's where the other Gumby boy, he slips and falls. So now I have <laughs> crack woman fully somehow on. I have all of her weight, and she falls directly on me. And I've never... Oh, did, did the Gumby boy fall onto her? No, Gumby boy, like, slipped through. So, like, oh, okay. think, like, hallway, one arm, the other. He just let go or whatever. And when he let go, he tripped her by accident. She <laughs> falls fully all weight on me. So I have crack baby, crack lady, fully on me. And I'm just <laughs> laying there. And I'll never forget, this is where the comedy comes in in my brain. I'm not mad. I'm just, like, irritated to the yeah. point of, like, how do I get out of this? And I see the other Gumby boy who had tripped and fallen. He came over, and he's just standing there. And he literally, I'll never forget, I'm looking up at him, and he just looks at me and goes, what should I do? And I'm just like, <laughs> get the crack woman off of me, please. <laughs> Everyone's staring, and he has to go, what do I do? And I'm like, this guy's fired. So we bring her in the office, finally. <laughs> and she's screaming at us that, like, harassment, all this stuff, like, we... I'm like, ma'am, you stole like 37 Xbox. Like, it's, it's on cam. Like, Bam Bam ran. And like, and that was the other thing. So when this was all happening. And the Bam husband Bam, has left her. Bam Bam realized. We looked back at the video. Once he she got caught, he was like, I'm out. Because he was like, not even close. He's like, I'm out and just left. And got in the car and Bam got Bam the hell bolts. out of there. <laughs> We're in the office. And the cops had already been called. And she's screaming. She won't let us cuff her. We're like, all right, I'm done with this lady. She's insane. So... As soon as uh, God, God bless the cops for this situation. The cops walk in. They know she's stolen like three. They know it's a felony. They know she has priors. They know that it's a drug situation. They know there's a she's pregnant and all that. She as soon as the cops open the door, she's like, oh, thank God you're here. These guys arrested me illegally. This is bullshit, blah, blah. The cop just grabs her, slams her to the wall and says, shut up. <laughs> and I've never seen a, like someone's demeanor change so fast. She just goes, so sorry, officer. And like it was like she was like a like a headmaster at like a British school all of a sudden. It was just like, so sorry, officer. Wait, how can I help you? I was like, what the? F and like, turns out she had like fifteen priors and all this crazy stuff. And that was Christmas Eve that that happened. At what point do you start examining your life? Um, later that night at the bar. Yeah. Buffalo Wild Wings. For Buffalo sure. Wild Wings. Yeah, for, yeah. sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Drinking a yard of. Uh, Shock top. Well, well, Gumby's. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I'm heading to Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Target paying for school will make this feel any better. <laughs> so, but you met you you were at Target for ten years. Yeah, it stretched out for a while because uh, you get and do you get know. to the point where you're just like, this is going to be life. I'm going to be working at a Target in Connecticut. I, and yeah, like 25, I was dating this woman, and I was like, okay, I got promoted to manager. And, like, I say it with air quotes because what a dumb fucking job. And I don't know if you like swearing on this podcast, but I hated that fucking job. Yeah, oh, like, fuck yeah. Literally, it's like, hey, we, you just got promoted because you got your degree. So now you're in $70,000 in student loan debt. And we're going to give you a job where you're making forty grand for a year salary. And you're going to work 60 hours a week. So you're basically making less than the cashiers at Target. But you're a manager. Mm. So you're in charge. And you're in debt. And you're in debt. And I'm driving an hour to the furthest target possible in Connecticut from my house. And I remember, I'll never forget, it was the, this is where I realized I needed to change. It was, I'm getting there early. We used to call it zoning is when it, you're cleaning the shelves. Zoning is a fancy way. You're cleaning the goddamn shelves. And I'm there with my, <laughs> my store manager who's like, at the time I thought he was like 90, but he's probably like 35 or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like telling me about like, like how to get promoted and all this stuff. And we're literally in the aisle where it's the tampon aisle, the female tampon aisle, it's 5 a.m. And they call in all the managers, they clean the store because that's just what they did. So I get up at three to drive two hours in traffic to fix the tampon aisle. Yeah, the female tampon F aisle. Female, well, of course, not the male tampon. Well, <laughs> some of them have male tampons now. Do they? Is that a thing? No. Okay. <laughs> Write that down. We might have to make that. Uh, I would be surprised. Be Yet another great invention Wait, by you know D-Bone. Okay, let me hear the it. The D-Bone. The D-Bone. <laughs> <laughs> Stocking the D-Bone aisle. 
coming out this spring, 2023. Debo and tampons. Yeah. So like we're we're cleaning the aisle, and it's just like I'm so demoralized. Like I got in a fight with my girlfriend the night before, and I'm thinking about trying to buy a ring and all this stuff. And I'm like settling in that I'm going to be working for Target. I'll get promoted and all that. And then I'm there organizing tampons with a college degree at 5 a.m. And my manager literally looks at me and he's like, so how do you think the job's going? And I, and I this is where like it just started to hit me, like where I just couldn't lie anymore. I was like, I, I looked and I was like, I fucking hate it. This is like what we do. Like, what am I learning right? Like, what is what is yeah. the point of this? So is it at this moment that the lightning bolt goes off and you go, you know what? Yeah. Los Angeles. Stand-up comedy. Just got to get out. I was like, Is what I'm going to do. This is where, like, I realized, like, I just got to get out of Connecticut. Like, it was just, I had not burned bridges. It was just, like, I had done everything I wanted to do in the area. And I always wanted to do stand-up. And I was thinking about driving to New York City. And I had a friend that was doing comedy in L.A., and we had talked a little bit and he's like, just start writing stuff down and, you know, maybe go do a mic. Cause there was no mics really that I, I didn't know right. what this world was yeah. in Connecticut, but through like the, just the gratefully target was let me go. And I went and worked for my buddy in construction for about a year. And during that time I had time to just like write every time I would get home, I would just write stuff down, write stuff down, ideas, ideas, ideas. Me and that girl broke up. And then a buddy of mine was like, Hey, I, he lived in uh, Newport Beach at the time in, in Orange County. He's like, my, your buddy Mike's moving out. Um, I'm going to need a roommate. And I was like, I'll just move to California. And he's like, what do you mean? You're just going to move? I'm like, I'll just, I'll figure it out. So, so like how old are you in this? 27, 28, a couple nice. of years after all the Target stuff. So I still was going through some shit. I, it took me a while to like just make the leap. And eventually I literally moved during a wedding weekend, no return flight to my friend's airbed, and I gave myself 30 days to find a job, found a job within 30 days, and I was able to stay. And then during that time, I had my list. I still have it to this day on my phone of every idea I've ever wanted to talk about stand-up. I'm still nervous to get up and just do it. But I was in California. Now I had no excuse. I'm in California. But then I let the excuse happen, and I got a shitty job in security, and I was making good money, but it took over my life. But I got so much material from it. So much material from it. So when do you finally get up on a stage? So this is where it happens. I am miserable at this job in Orange County. And I randomly came up to L.A. for a Black Sabbath concert. Nice. One of their, their final tour. And I met with my buddy. And I, he's like, you should meet my cousin. I know you always talk about comedy. He's a stand-up. My friend Zach Foster, great kid. Still, we talk to this day. He came to the bar we were at. And we just chatted. And this doesn't happen in comedy. He was like, yeah, I have a show. If you want to just come up and do some time, feel free. I'm like, I've never done this before. He goes, no, nobody cares. Just come on up. I'll give you a few minutes. And like... Where was that? Do you remember? Yeah, it was at the clubhouse in Los Feliz. Oh, yeah. And love that room. Love, love, I don't know if it's still there. I think COVID might have closed it, but... Was was, it up top? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like the little attic room. Yeah. And uh, he's like, come up and and do some time. So he tells... I'll never forget. this, This is the year... This is how I remember. This is when Trump got elected. So it's during that, the, it's, this is October of that year. October, he's like, come up and do time. I get scared. I, I can't, I make up a bullshit excuse. I don't go. Then during that time, I realized that Goodwill, where I was working, by the way, shout out to Goodwill. You fucking suck. Uh, <laughs> I was working there and I realized they started downsizing. I never, have you ever prayed to get laid off before? Yes. Oh, yeah. Dude, oh, of course. That is the most freeing situation of all time when, wait, they'll pay me to leave? This is great. So I knew it was going to happen, so I just started focusing on writing and like getting my job done at work, but I would just come home, write, 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 write at work, all that stuff. Eventually, the week Trump got elected was the day where he had time on the show. So I drove up here, and this is funny. When you start in comedy, you always want support. So I dragged my little sister with me because she was living with me at the time. I'm like, you got to just come. I just need someone to, if I fall apart, I need someone to drive or whatever, you know? We drive up. I'll never forget. I'm going to tell you this, and I don't talk about this a lot. The joke I wrote, which I thought was going to kill, because I'm like, everyone's <laughs> mad. Trump won. I'm like, oh, I know this comedy thing. You're the stupid confidence. And I get up there, and I say the joke, and it was, uh, I was like, oh, man, Trump won. And I, I heard he's changing his middle name from John to Jizz, because he just jizzed on the face of America. <laughs> right? No. And it was... 
So this is my first time. Is it, on stage. Is it crickets? Uh, is there a possible like louder bug? Like it was locusts. That's what it was. Is so it bad. It was dead silent. And now this is also the first time I've ever been on a stage in my life. So I didn't understand how bright that spotlight really yeah. is. Yeah. And I see nothing. It's like a movie. It's like you just see the bright light in there's shadows, but and then there's no sound because everyone's just oh that joke sucks. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's supposed to be sound. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait, why did I and like immediately for this is how I knew I should be in comedy. As soon as that happened, I go, Oh, I'm just gonna talk about pro wrestling because I love pro wrestling. And I had and I and I <laughs> And I'm like, I just started yammering about how I voted for Stone Cold Steve Austin for president because I didn't care for either candidate. And I just ramble on who his cabinet would be and all this stuff. And people started laughing. And then I heard a belly laugh in the back. And that's when I was like, all right, thank you. Good. And I got down. And I did like maybe two and a half, three minutes. Before. Yeah. And when it ended, everyone was like, that was great. That was your first time. You know, keep it up, whatever. But that silence, and I was like, oh, my God, this is what bombing feels like. To have the silence for the first thing I ever said on stage, and then the second thing I ever said got a belly laugh. I was like, "Oh, okay, I could do this." Yeah, you you lined, you focused. You I got, was just like, "That's what this focus. is." Yeah. And like the tattoos, it becomes addictive. It becomes addictive. Oh, that. Other than so, my three things I love. I love creating, no matter what, no matter what it is. So I, I have a pizza business, and I love cooking for people, and seeing the smile on their face when they eat the food, and they love it. I love making jokes and making people laugh. And when you say something that you created out of your mind or whatever, and people just laugh at it, there's no better feeling than that laugh. And it's not even like a grat. It's like a, it's like, I don't know, otherworldly. It's just like, oh, yeah. Like, like a sense wash. of ease. Yeah, it's exactly. I like figured out life. Say it, yeah. Like this is my thing. <clears throat> and same thing. And then it's addictive. You want to feel that there's nothing more addictive than uh, tattoos and comedy. Like they're so tied together. And the wrestling community is so supportive. If you start talking about 100%. wrestling and there's another guy in the audience or girl, yeah, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're fucking, they're it, on the ride. It's amazing. That's how I met my tattoo artist because he's a huge wrestling fan. Yeah, like we're all like, and that's the best part too. What I realized See, with comedy, you a wrestling oh, I fan. Love, you I, I, <laughs> no, no, I loved loved wrestling. Um, I looked at your Instagram before you got here because that's I try not to learn anything about our that's guests. What we do. And you have the same T-shirt that I got for my daughter, the WrestleMania Six. The best shirt. It's so good. You're a good dad. Yeah. WrestleMania Six, which was in Canada. Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior. Yep. Yeah. Rowdy Piper was there. Brutus Ross, the Barber Beefcake. I don't think they'll ever beat that era. That's like no, uh, and yeah, I still watch it to this day. I've gone to shows and I love it because it's just a great thing. And when I have kids one day, I want to bring them and the whole thing. Are you gonna go to WrestleMania here? I'm thinking about, it, but stuff's so expensive now. It's like thirty eight hundred dollars for it, the and that's for like place. an hour. It's totally worth it. You get to watch it. one match and you got to go home. Like it, things now <laughs> are insane. That'd be another like, thirty eight hundred if you want to stay a little longer. Yeah, yeah. it'll be five thousand if you want to watch the main event. Same thing with like Blink One Eighty Two tickets are like two grand. Yeah, and you're like that band sucked. And they always insane. sucked. There's Metallica's nothing even like close. 5, yeah. I like that one song. Um, I like, who's, I like Stone Cold Steve, who's Stone Cold Steve Austin's Secretary of State? Oh, it was going to oh, be Mankind. He was going to be... That's so funny. I would have said yeah. Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Yeah. He, really? can handle, yeah. he can handle the pain of that job. Yeah. And then The Rock was going to be... <laughs> he can. Uh, and he had good relations with people. Yeah. It was going to be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. But like... Who'd be the, who'd be the Secretary of Transportation? Oh, it was, uh, what was his name? There was a tow truck guy. That was his the character. Yeah, the Shit. not earthquake, but wasn't he earthquake? The other one. I know you're talking. Well, there was yeah. earthquake. Tidal wave. There was tidal no, wave. His, earthquake, no, his name hurricane. was his name was typhoon. Typhoon. Uh, when they were the natural disasters. All right, so now here it's coming out. You asked me if I'm a wrestling fan. That's when they were the natural disasters. He wasn't a tow truck driver first. He his name was tugboat. That's right. And he had a little hat. You're and he had the. I know. You retain. We can't. Let's not examine my brain again and, and how I missed Big John Studd. That that was the guy that he I thought should have stuck around. I loved IRS as a kid. Mm. IRS. Erwin R. Scheister. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Put and, on those and he was with the Million Dollar Man. And what was their uh, tag team? Vincent was their manager. Oh God, what was their uh... Money Inc. That's right. Yeah, Money Inc. Yeah. Well, I could do this for the rest of the podcast. You guys, podcast? you guys want to ask me more wrestling <laughs> trivia? I could talk, dude. I could quit my job right now and just yeah. talk about. Wrestling all day. That's yeah. just what it is. 
I love I love that era, and I love that early, late '90s, early 2000s. Oh, the was era, amazing. Yeah. Well, from '95 to like 2005 the other was thing great. About wrestling and comedy that's so tight is like, it's the humor in some of these. Like, if you go back, or oh, even as yeah. of now, there's humor in all of it. Oh, like, it's great comedy. Never, except I think the '70s era, they didn't take themselves too seriously when it came to the storyline yeah. stuff. And people are always like, oh, it's fake. It's like, you don't understand what this it's is. It's performance it's art. It's performance it art. It is. Yeah. And all these bits and all these things, they're just trying to crack each other up. I want to be Macho Man for Halloween every I year. I mean, Macho that was Man. Hogan one year. That was God, fun. let's do it. That was a blast. Fucking the mega powers. Uh-huh. Bring it out. Oh, yeah. And then you'd be Miss Elizabeth. And then you'd bring <laughs> Absolutely, I yeah. would be. And then in WrestleMania five, the mega powers explode. We could probably get you into a ravishing Rick Rude situation with oh, that. Absolutely. He was amazing because he. How do you feel about steroids? Uh, I'm already on them. Perfect. They just yeah. don't work on me. I'm immune. I won't. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, I could do steroids. Yeah, it's, it's a fine. Big deal. I'm not an athlete. And just and get you a little see, pump. Like, Liver King, and you're like, well, all right. I don't want to. Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. I'll all you got to do belly. is not lie and beat your wife, and I think you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. you don't go oh, on man. a Chris Benoit murder suicide yeah. rage, yeah. and you're fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, so back to Christmas movies, anyway. So, so yeah, my top three. So you start. So now between 2016, when you start this, yeah, and really the pandemic, are you just going out and you're just doing open mics? Yeah. So like I said, I got laid off like about a month after the election, and they actually they gave me an offer like, do you want to come back and work for us at a lower paying job? With same responsibilities. I wish that was a bit, but that's what they told me. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, or, we could, Corporations or we could give you your severance and move on. And I remember calling my father, and I was like, and this is as I get older, it's like, you just have to do what you got to do. Like, whatever you want to do for your life, you got to do it. I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving this job. I'm going to focus on comedy for the next few months while I, I, you know, have my severance money and do all that. But I'm just going to focus on comedy because it makes me happy. Yeah. And I feel like there's something there. And just let me follow this path. And he was like, I support you. Do whatever you got to do. You know, we're here if you need it. And I literally got laid off. And then I, I ordered five books, not like how to do comedy, but like my heroes. So like I ordered Steve Martin's book, oh, yeah. Judd Apatow's book, uh, Carlin, like, you know, all that. I just started delving into their lives and, and their re- process. And that's yeah. when I realized during that time and I was doing open mics and I found open mics, how much I can relate to them and how we all go through that struggle of like creative and how to just make the leap and just do it. So I remember reading Martin's book in like a day. Cause I was like, Oh my God, this guy's like me. And like all these things, you find these little like uh, thorough lines where we're all yeah. the same. So I just delved into it and I started doing open mics and I was terrible and it was great to be terrible. Cause like I look back at some of this, I've recorded everything I've ever said I've ever done. And I look back at some of those and I'm like, what the fuck were you, you moron, but at least you got up there and did it. Yeah. And I was doing it. For a few months, and this is a great grace of God. I, I did a. I went back to that room where I started at the clubhouse, and I got. I went up there, and what it was was there had a bucket and a show mixed in with one. The buckets when you put your name in, yep, and they'll just pull you. And if you get lucky, you can go up and do a set. So I got pulled, and I went up, and this is when I also realized to trust my instincts in comedy. And my friend was driving me up there, and I had a whole set like of three minutes that I was going to do. But on the way up there, his son was uh, – we were talking about his son, and I had just gotten my dog, Ozzy. And his son was always – like, his son's dumb, basically. And it's just – he's an idiot with my dog. And I always was like, why are you, your son dumber than my dog? Like, and I'm in my car, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to make fun of his kid tonight if i go on stage like that's the very thing. classy move yeah but like in a way of like i literally the bit in my head was i play fetch with my dog but when i go to throw the ball his son runs after it before my dog runs after it and my dog just looks at him like you're an idiot okay whatever and that was just something i like, ripped in my head i don't remember right. how i i worded it but i went up there and i get called and i was like doing my bit and i just looked at my friend ben and i was like oh yeah i'm gonna make fun of his kid now and i literally like said that out loud like riffed it Everyone just starts laughing. I was like, oh, okay. And I just do the bit, and it killed. Like, I, like it just killed. Or as soon as it ends, the kid comes up to me and goes, hey, I have a show uh, next Friday. Do you want to be on a show? And I was like, you want to book me on a show? Fuck I have, yeah. like, two minutes of material. And he goes, no, no, just, it's going to be great. We'll book you on the show. And then later that week, he reminds me. He goes, yeah, it's a seven-minute set. And I, was, and I, I remember thinking, 
dread. Like I have to right. wait seven minutes of material so, in a week. So on the podcast, dear God, am I funny? Yeah. You're feeling, yeah, I'm funny after you have two minutes that kill. Yeah. And then does it all just go away? Because now where's the other five minutes oh, coming from? I remember I was in Ralph's shopping and he texted me. He goes, yeah, it's seven minutes. I wanted to hide in the spinach. Like, I just didn't want to. You're like, where's the tampons <laughs> yeah, in the Ralph's? I got to go rearrange. I, I was like, oh Something's got to feel like home. I was like, no, they're going to find out. I'm not. Oh, no. Oh, right. no. So I get home and I'm and I remember that, you know, I the joke about the dog thing. Right. And I'm like, OK, maybe like because I didn't know what kind of comic I was yet. And that's the other thing. When you get into right. stand up specifically, like there's many you could be a one liner guy, you could storyteller, you could be a roast. Like there's so many avenues that people don't realize. Right. And I remember like I like tell, I've always been and this goes back to high school and my college friends. I've always been a storyteller. Whether, like, deliberately or not, I just love telling stories. So I just started thinking of stuff about my life and, like, what's funny and, like, what's going on. And we go to the show, and I, I blocked out what I wanted to do. And what's interesting was the guy that went on right before me was actually my physical therapist that I was seeing at the time for my neck, huh. who was also a comedian, who also was like, yeah, go pursue comedy. It'd be great. We ended up on the same show, and he's been doing it for a decade. He's a pro, and he goes up before me, murders, and I'm like, "Oh, I gotta follow my yeah. physical therapist, comedian, killer guy, right?" <laughs> and I get up there, and everything just rolled off the tongue. I look back at the set, and I hate it. You know, you look right. back years later, like, "Oh, you were <clears> terrible," but everyone's laughing, and it was because for the first time in my life, I was just being myself. Like mm. I wasn't trying to put on anything. I wasn't trying to pretend. I was like, this is just me being me. And like, I just rode the wave. And like, I remember, you know, in the middle of it, just like riffing because I had a group of friends in the front row. And I just started making fun of one of them because he's always tried to be Donnie Brasco from the movie. <laughs> and I just started riffing on him, calling him a fugazi. And the room just starts dying from it. And God. he's crying, laughing from it. And I'm like, oh, I can like do this. Like, I felt like I could do it. I got right. through the set. And afterwards, my friend Johnny, the kid who went before me, he goes, he's like, dude, was that your first like set? And I was like, yeah, it's like my third show. He goes, don't stop doing this. Jesus, just don't stop. And I was like, wow. So, but you don't believe it. You're like, you're just like, right. you know, throw away, whatever. But that was the catalyst. So, like after that, I was like, started doing more and more stuff, driving up to LA for over a year, the traffic, like this is obviously a few years before COVID. So like just driving up all the time, doing open mics, getting on book shows, Doing bringer shows, and if you're in the comedy world, you know what a bringer oh, yeah. show is. Hey, yeah, you could do 10 minutes, but I need you to bring five people, and they all have to buy tickets and buy three drinks, and it's like, hell. Yeah. you got to do the grind. And then I started, because I'm a businessman at heart, and I started to realize how I can probably get on stuff by not having to play the game. So I was just like, just get funnier, meet the right people, and just be genuine to everybody. Right. Don't play, don't play with people. Just like meet the right people. And over this time, do you start putting together that tight set? Yeah. Yeah, I just started. And that's when you recognize you don't need to go to every open mic and work on five new minutes. Go to every open mic and work on the what same you got. Yeah. stuff yeah. over and hammer and hammer. So how do you analyze whether or not the jokes are working at an open mic? So in, in my experience doing open mics, you know, it's a bunch of people trying to do exactly what you're talking about. They're not there to listen to me. Absolutely. They're not interested in laughing. No. They're interested in, does their name get pulled out? When are they getting up there? And what are they going to mm -hmm. do? Um, so what's the process of like, you know what? That joke's really working or it's not. Yeah. So I, it's a good point to recognize like at open mic, your audience is other comics. They are not thinking about anything but what they're going to say. So they're rarely ever listening to you. But I took it as if I could get a chuckle from like one or two comics on a joke, then I know that in a room of audience, that's at least half the room probably laughing. Right. I started to like antiquate it. Like right. if a comic who's not listening, all of a sudden listen and kind of chuckle at something, I'd be like, okay, that would work if I put it in an audience room. Cause audience, you know, is different than comics cause comics are not listening, but audience is pays the listen at the show. So I would equate it to that. Like, okay, if I could get the comics to laugh, at a bit, then I know that there's something there. That's a very good point. And yeah. I would build it from that. So like if I, and then if I got a chuckle, but I wouldn't do it like if it's us talking, 
Like the best part about an open mic is the hang. Yeah. When you're just hanging out with all the comics and you're chatting before you go up. If they're laughing at your stuff before you go on stage, I never trust it. Mm. Like, that's just them being, that's just our subconscious of just, you know, listen, right. like pretending to listen and just kind of like egging each other on. But if they're deliberately laughing at you, like even while, a you're chuckle on while you're on stage, that means you got them. Yeah. So that's what I would equate it to. So I would burn through that and I would always do the same stuff for the longest time until I felt like it was good. Then I would get on a show and do it. And then what I started doing was I did shows where none of my friends were there. I wanted to make sure I would get no sympathy laps on anything. Ooh. And there were some shows that were quiet. But to this day, like, you know, gratefully, like, even if you bomb, I still get laughs if I bomb. Like, people think bomb is just dead silence the whole time. It's not. Like, you just, like, you find the, the, the joy in all of your sets. You ever have a, a, a bomb where it was silence the whole time? I had one where, oh, man, there's a few. For not open mic, like a show. Like where I was booked, no. I've had like like somewhere the okay better. I've had ones where like my closer, which my closer's like I worked on for eight years before comedy, fine tuned it, do it every night. My closer's my gem. I love it. It always kills. I remember I did it. <laughs> it was at uh, it was at some <laughs> bar show, and I did it, and like I get to the punchline. This is the punchline where. I, I like great flag. It's standing it's your body from, slam, like body slam. Everyone gets it. I get to the punchline and it is fucking nothing. It is just like, that's when I realized throughout the whole bit that they weren't listening the entire time. So mm. I never had them. They weren't paying attention. And I was mm. like, so that it was a bomb. So I hit it and it's silence. So then I improvised a new ending just on the top of my head. And I got three chuckles and I was like, okay, see you later. Bye. That's when I was still drinking. So I was like, I'm going to the bar right now. And I'm downing all the Jaeger you have, and I'm gonna move on from this. But that was a bomb. It was some like fucking some show in LA, and that's what you learn too doing comedy in LA is that there's like bar shows where it's more it's basically an open mic, but it's yeah. like called a show, and people aren't really there to listen anyways. But then there's like tr- shows outside of LA, like Riverside area, or go down to Orange County, or I love doing shows in Long Beach. Absolutely love it. The crowds there are great. There's people outside of LA that want to hear comedy, like they want right. to hear. Stuff. Here, it's all silent judgment. It's silent judgment because everyone's out for themselves. But yeah, and, that and you host a comedy show yeah. fairly uh, regularly in Long Beach. Yeah, so comedy on the shore. Comedy on the shore. Yeah, so that show's been so great to us. I started it a couple years ago with some other comic friends before COVID. And the reason why Long Beach is because my day job, I'm in alcohol sales. I've worked for different beverage companies for a few years, which helped me in comedy because you get to find venues when you're selling. Boost right. the people. Yeah. And Murphy's Pub, shout out to them. Trent's the manager. He's the best. He always was like interested in doing stuff at this bar. And it's built, and if you know the comedy store, it's built like the belly room. Mm. So it's low ceilings. It's above a gym, which is the, it's the weirdest concept ever. But it's one of the, be- the best bars and oldest bars in uh, Long Beach. So short, long story short, whatever the terminology is. Short story long. Yeah, sure. Short story long. It's a podcast. Yeah. Uh, Sponsored by D-Bone. Uh, tampons. Tampons. The, I walk in one day, dick. and Sorry. I'm like selling oh them the beer that I was like working for at the time. And I'm looking at the ceilings. I'm like, you ever think about doing a comedy show here? He goes, how? I'm like, put the mic there. Put a light there. And like, we'll block out the windows. And I think we could do something. And we started doing it before COVID. And it was pretty successful. We would always have sellouts. But it was we had a bunch of hosts, and it was kind of a mess. So then after COVID started to wind down. He reached out. He goes, would you want to do this again? I was like, yeah, but let's make it simpler. And like, it was just me and my friend Craig running it. And since then, we have regulars that come every month. It's the last Thursday of every month at Murphy's Pub. It's a free show. We don't charge anyone. Because that's the other thing is like, I realize I like being of service to people, especially comics, new uh, headliners working on stuff. Like, I like that more than just like my own stuff. But I love the show because I host it. So I work on all my material. Why I host and like I, I riff and I love talking to the audience and I find my jokes there. But then I give these guys platforms to just do their stuff. Fuck yeah. And the audience is so grateful that we're there and the room is so much fun. And the best part was, and this is what I learned early on, they don't serve liquor, they just serve beer. So no one gets too drunk and starts heckling the comics. And if they do, right. the comics just nail them. Yeah. So it's just, it's been great. And it's the last Thursday of every month at Murphy's in Long Beach. 
and I love it. And it's like my favorite little thing I get to do every month. Yeah. And just like support the community. So right. one thing that, uh, th- that's really fascinating, and I want to get to this before we run out of time, which is, uh, so all this whole comedy journey starts in 2016. You finally get up there and you're hosting a show. Uh, you're having, you know, this success and getting to do what you want to do and build in that comedy community. But during the pandemic, you start a pizza place. Yeah. Mm. So we were talking about creativity, right? Like I always needed to realize I need to be creative in some way. Shows end, you know, I'm not doing Zoom comedy shows. That sounds just terrible. Uh, so I was like, where am I going to, what am I going to do? So I started doing like TikTok and all of those avenues. And I had some success there. We had some viral videos of me and my dog doing funny stuff. But it's, it's so weird to say, but I didn't feel like it was me. It didn't right. feel like the extension of me. So on a kind of like on a dare, my brother started making pizza back east. And I had, and this is backtrack real quick, is that when I moved to L.A., the job I got was running a pizzeria. And the reason why I took the job was because they said I could run an open mic at the mm. pizzeria. So we ended up having the, the best-selling Tuesday night ever for Mod Pizza in California by running an open mic for comics. Oh, shit. And we would do $2 beers, and comics would get a free pizza. And we would, we would do sets, and it was a party every Tuesday. Dude, and that's I loved it. And amazing. that's where I met a lot of my friends up here and made connections, and it was wonderful. So when I worked there, they had a really good oven. Terrible ingredients. Sorry, Mod, but it's a really good <laughs> oven. Uh, and I was like, I always loved doing it. I learned how to do it. And living in Connecticut, we're known for our pizza. Like, like New Haven pizza, it's called a pizza. It's a big thing you grew up with. But you don't realize culture until you leave where you're from, right? Right. So now in the pandemic, I just start you know, Sundays with my neighbors, make pizza, have fun, learn some stuff. But like the third pizza was like that light bulb moment when I did the, the stone cold joke, my first set, someone was like, you should sell this. It's pretty good. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I just, right. just like comedy, I just started going into it. And I realized because there was no shows, like this was my Avenue. And then through the last two years, we, we've, we've grown. And now we're called Ozzy's pizza or Ozzy's a Pete's. We're on Instagram, the whole thing. We share a space with a bar in Glendale called Underdogs. We're there three days a week. Yeah. And what's great is it's actually me and my business partner is my friend Craig Taylor, uh, who's also a stand-up comedian. So it's two stand-up comedians running a pizzeria. We put all of our like humor into it as well. So the, the pizzas are named after funny things we like. And we do this no ranch policy and piss people off about that. <laughs> and like we make videos, but it's a full extension of us. And we realize now... We could do pizza and be funny. And like the goal one day is to have our own space where we could do open mics and have a stage for people and then serve right. pizza at the yeah, same time. Yeah, that's amazing. And then you're, you're living the dream. You're, yeah. You're getting to cook. You're getting to serve. You're getting to do the comedy nights. Uh, I mean, yeah. And we also got to get some of this pizza. We got yeah, you guys got to come by. We'll take care of you. Because I know sure. I saw on your Instagram your pepperoni. Oh, yeah. So I like when it's the small pepperoni like circles that babies. curl up. Mm-hmm. It has to be like that. I 100% agree because yeah. I used to have the flat ones. Ugh. And then we got the, the, the cuppies, the little cuppies. Yeah, and, the little uh, cuppies, they, pepperoni cuppies. Yeah. They are so goddamn good. It's I, like, yeah, you don't want to bite off your pepperoni. No. You want to bite. You want to you want the whole thing. I want to I want it to have a little pop to it. A little dish of oil in it. I mean, yeah. you want to see your arteries tighten. Yeah. As, yes. As I want to feel yeah. one step closer to pizza. death when yeah. I eat that pizza. Uh yeah. well, Chris, on here we say it's a settled matter. We thank you for coming in. Thank you. Uh, sharing about your journey. I mean, to have, you know, some tragedy through your life, but really to bring you to this place where, you know what, it, you it, it's not going to be Target for no. the rest of my life. If, if anyone could take away anything from this uh, interview, don't steal Xboxes from Target in 2009. Just don't. Don't do it now. Or now, yeah. Well, or do you know. crack while you have a baby in your belly. That's a yeah. b- probably a better message. Yeah, we'll go Derek, with that. Thank you. <laughs> Forget about Microsoft. Let's go with the let's go with the human element. As we really want to just say, shoplifting's no good. Oh, also, while you're pregnant, take care of that baby. Yeah. And Bam Bam's not going to look out for you. Bam he's Bam not. He's going to run down. at the first sign. <laughs> he ran into that Impala so fast. It, it was an Impala. Yeah. I like it because it has the the symbol on the side of the car. Yeah. The Impala. Of oh, yeah. Leaping. Yeah. I feel like we could talk for, with you forever. I'd love to come appreciate back. appreciate it, brother. Oh, anytime. Yeah. Especially, you know, and once you got your own pizza place. Oh. We could gonna... do one from the pizza. We could do a podcast from the pizza yeah. place. 
That'd be wonderful. We could do all wrestling. Let's do an all wrestling one. Oh, God. Fuck yeah. You know what? We'll do it around WrestleMania. We'll have you back. Oh. And we'll just yes. do a WrestleMania uh, we edition. Get, we need to get somebody to schedule our time. We <laughs> Yes. We do. Put it in the books, Becky. All right. All right. Uh, John Denver. He wrote the song <laughs> Country Road. Is he is he singing about West Virginia or the western part of the state of Virginia? Because you're from the East Coast. He, you're going to know this. I actually found this out last week because I played it in the pizzeria. Oh, here we go. It is. He's singing about the west side of Virginia. See? He's not singing about <laughs> the state. Virginia. And let me tell doesn't you. doesn't give a shit about the state of West my Virginia. My Craig at the pizzeria, he told me that. He's like, I'm listening to it, and he says this. I had to pause, and I was like, you just blew my goddamn mind. Yes. Thank you. So it's true. It's a I never. Matter. It's a settled matter. I don't Chris, think we need to bring it up ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, nope, thank you. On. <laughs> All right. Fuck Good yeah. work. That was great, guys.